Thought, a podcast of the Biblical Christ Research Institute. For our written articles, go to bcri.wordpress.com. And for sermons, go to SoundCloud and search Biblical Christ Church. For comments and questions, email us at bcritrainofthought at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. So, episode 16, episode 16 of Train of Thought, podcast of the Biblical Christ Research Institute. Thank you for joining us here. As always, I'm uh, joined by my brothers in Christ, Michael Wellen, Deron Gladden, and Eric Powers. And as we have been doing these past uh, couple of episodes, uh, Eric Powers is going to take over. And he's gonna go through his thesis. We're currently on a chapter about how the doctrinal triage developed, the history of triage. And uh, he's gonna go through that chapter. And of course, the other three of us will respond as, as you know we need to. But uh, Eric, it's all yours. I'm gonna pull up the screen and then you can right, get we to- got, uh, Chapter one, the history and development of triage. So we're going to continue going through this thesis and we're going to look at chapter one now. Um, and that's uh, basically the historical development of triage etymology of the word tier. You know, where's this concept come from to begin with? And so what I wanted to do is look at where it originated in the secular world. So the, the first uh, division of chapter one is origin in secularism. And, uh, if you're following along with me, the word triage is derived from the French word tier. Have you guys heard that term, right? Tier. It's used a lot in our vernacular today, uh, which means to sort. And that's literally what that, that word tier means. It's a French term. It was originally used to describe the sorting of agricultural products. And, uh, and, and I think uh, we were talking about this uh, earlier, Chris, about the etymology of the word. You're looking that up and... And you two saw where it came from. You know, it has a French origin, some Latin going back even further, the Latin, but basically the knit to pick, you know, the sort, et cetera, is, is, is what the word tier means. Um, but today, uh, the word triage, which is derived from tier, uh, the word triage today is almost used exclusively in specific healthcare contexts. And I think that that's correct. I mean, as I'm going through and looking through, I mean, I was looking at different uh, dictionaries, etymology dictionaries in the library at the Master Seminary and other places and on online databases and dictionaries. And this is what I came up with. So if someone else can find some more information about this, it'd be helpful or to challenge the things that are written in this thesis. I encourage you to to come and challenge it and, and look these things up. Um, so we're going to go by what is written here, you know, through the research that I did. And again, if someone finds something that contradicts this or proves that I'm wrong in any sort, I encourage them to come forth and, and, and let us know that so we can make these adjustments. Cause I want to, uh, you know, tell the truth across the board, whether I'm looking up etymology of the word triage and tier or, you know, et cetera. So, um, I go, go on to write one dictionary defined triage as the action of assorting according to quality. 
This is an important definition. The action of assorting according to quality. And so, again, if you're bringing this concept into God's word as you're reading through Genesis to Revelation, uh, are you assorting doctrine or these biblical books according to their quality, thinking some are more important than others, et cetera? Something you got to think about and something you got to wrestle with if you want to employ this triage system upon God's word. Uh, ellipsis, the assignment of degrees of urgency. And that would be used in the, the emergency medical context. And again, for those listening, I just want to remind you about my background professionally. I was an emergency medical technician, basic, and a firefighter uh, for a period of time. Firefighter one, uh, I had my hazmat training as well and uh, emergency medical technician. I drove the ambulances and, and also administered emergency medical or medicine uh, at a pharmacology that I was responsible for, et cetera, as I was serving uh, the community in that, in that aspect. So again, coming, coming to this conversation, like I, I have a little uh, exposure already to triage, you know, things that were taught to us when I was in school, uh, getting certified as an emergency medical technician. So the assignment of degrees of urgency to wounds or illnesses in order to decide the order or suitability of treatment. And that's taken from uh, the Oxford English Dictionary definition. Uh, and you can see that uh, it's the Oxford English Dictionary. You can follow the footnote 14, taking you to the bottom of the page. Um, and so what about the history, though, of triage? Where does it come from? When, it, when was it first implemented as a system, even in the medical field? So this is important in the, con in the conversation because, again, I'm arguing that not only is this novel when it comes to discussions about theology, but this is relatively novel when you're talking about discussions of the last 2000 years of Western thought and the history in the West. So this comes from the French. So far, we've established that the word tier and its etymology uh, triage is derived from tier. Um, when was it practiced as a system, you know, uh, formally and documented as such? And I think it goes back to the uh, Napoleonic Wars is when it was first implemented. And, and you're talking about the 19th century, the 1800s, when this was first implemented, it, documented as such. So I'm going to go on and keep, you know, continue to read the, um, the chapter here, because a lot of this, I'm going to have to read a lot of this because, you know, so, you, so we get a, a picture of what's going on here. The history of triage is in practice. And any, any brothers can interrupt me. As we're going through this, if something stands out to you or you want to add something or, um, you know, correct something, uh, the, the history of triage in practice is, is a generally novel concept because it was first implemented or its first implement, Im, implemented use in secular culture dates only back uh, only as early as the 19th century. So that's uh, the 1800s. So it's relatively novel. During the years of the French Napo uh, Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte, born August 15th, 1769, he died May 5th, 1821. And so the inception of this system as triage arose from military medicine, where the system was designed to distribute health care systematically among wounded and sick soldiers. And that footnote, if you if you follow that down to the bottom of the page, footnote 15, that is a medical journal that I had to they had to buy uh, the rights, I mean, buy uh, the, the permission to put this 
in in my thesis because I wanted to go and I wanted to look at the uh, at, at some uh, sources that were immediate sources, I guess, if you want to uh, think that, you know, doctors have something important to say about this, especially people that dedicate their lives to emergency medicine. So that's uh, the two doctors. Yeah, a doctor and a, and a, a Ph.D. there. Uh, those two men at footnote 15, they wrote that article triage in medicine, part one concept. And that's from the Knowledge of emergency medicine uh, journal. And there you have the page number and all the rest. And so there they are also saying that uh, these are two doctors here. They're going through the history of triage. And in their research, one has a Ph.D., one is one is a metal, uh, a medical doctor in their research. They're saying these two guys that it was first implemented as a system in secular medicine only as far back as Napoleonic Wars and Emperor uh, Napoleon Bonaparte. So I, I think that that's pretty remarkable. So if, if Moeller's picking this and he's using this as a system and implementing that uh, with with theology and, and we're kind of nervous when someone come someone comes up with something new in the church and says, hi, I, I solved the problem. I have a new something new like the emergent movement, like Brian McLaren, something new that's going to solve all these problems in the church. Uh, we're already kind of nervous because like we talked about in Ephesians, we're not to create unity in Ephesians four. It says preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, not create it, but preserve it. So it's already there. So we're not supposed to come up with something novel, something new. We're to take the torch that has been passed down by the apostles, apostolic doctrine to the church. And we are to champion and expound apostolic doctrine and not try to create a new system and so not only is it novel in uh evangelicalism talking about 2004 when uh that seminal article was written by dr moeller but even in the secular world it's pretty novel concept because it only dates back to the napoleonic wars which is the 19th century the 1800s you guys have anything to add there? Because it's pretty, pretty remarkable. I think it's important to the discussion. No. Why, why would, why would anyone? Uh, here's a question for you guys. Why would anyone? Um, why, why don't? Why? Here's, here's a good question for you guys. Why aren't people listening to what I have to say about this? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, this is, this is like. This argument is it, it's like a silver bullet that destroys this whole thing. So why don't people care? They're listening. I don't get it. Well, again, it goes I back to what we were saying on a couple on the other. I think it was last one or the one before that. It's just uh, some people are lazy. Uh, yeah, one, la one, one of the reasons is laziness. It's like, well, this is it's just easier to accept the, the triage than to um just to, to discard it. And, and part of the reason is people have been, it, it has been ingrained in people's heads for so long that it's just difficult for them to just get rid of it. But I mean, what's sad about it is that even if you're shown theologically and biblically and exegetically that it's incorrect, they still want, they still won't uh, turn from it mm -hmm. uh, because it, it makes it easier for, as Duran has said, it makes it easier for ec ec ecumenicalism. Yeah, 
so yeah, we I can think like, you have so we can yeah. join hands across denominations and yeah you know never really get down to brass tacks about what the bible really says concerning certain things because they're second secondary or tertiary doctrines it 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 it, it helps to avoid discussions about certain biblical subjects yeah i think you have commercialization of modern evangelicalism in the general sense, but I think you also have it in the specific sense. And where that plays out is church history. So, you know, you have so-called modern conservative evangelicals who teach church history in such a way as to take you through a museum, they're museum curators. And they teach it in such a way where these are great individuals whom you can't emulate and so even if you had the spirit to fight this, you know, they, they kind of they uh, shut you down in that way, um, answering the question as to why I don't believe this argument is being uh, given its fair share. But then you have also uh, the commercialization of other things that eliminates church history so that Christians don't really know their place in the modern church age connected to the past. And so they don't know that something's novel because they're not studying the things that came before it. And then you have those who do study things that came before it, it's been so commercialized that they really don't believe it's their place to fight against it. And so I just think you have both streams of, of individuals uh, commercializing this to make money uh, from the, the, the benefits of the doctrinal triage um, that you just simply, the arguments are not something that are in the purview because they, uh, again, I think it would cost people uh, money and it would have to cause people to reevaluate how they come up uh, with their ecclesiology and, and, and all the rest. So I, I really think it is an effective argument. I just think things are so commercialized and uh, that, you know, individuals just really don't understand how to even approach this uh, because they don't necessarily believe it's novel because they're severed from, all the arguments of the past. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So they're not really doing the research or looking into it. Um, but, but here you have uh, a clear, I mean, if, if I'm right in what I'm saying here, don't you think that that's a, that's a reason to uh, just this alone is a reason to not use it as a hermeneutical principle? Well, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you have medical professionals, explaining that even though it is a pragmatic, sometimes effective tool in their trade, that it's not unilaterally accepted in their trade. And it's not without its flaws, even in medicine. Um, I think, you know, if you can understand it that way, uh, you know, the tendency to over-spiritualize this thing as being effective, it's kind of stripped of that, pow of that power when you look at it from the, you know, from the natural history. Uh, I just again, I don't, but I don't think people are studying natural history and fields outside of theology either. I, I don't think yeah. they're, you know, and that which is problematic when you look at where, well, where did these ideas come from? If you don't study philosophy, if you don't study, you know, uh, things that tie to science and other things, and then you won't effectively understand how this is an encroachment on the true faith and then how to fight against it. Oh yeah. Um, oh man. Well, let's uh, let's let's keep going through this. Uh, 
And again, uh, it is a silver, it is a silver bullet, though. I agree. It's it's a silver bullet argument if people are willing to listen. Um, but I'm yeah, I'm very frustrated because I feel like I've I've provided the um, you know I've challenged uh, his uh, Mueller saying here, and I've I've proven that he's wrong. I've proven that he's that he's wrong. So I'm frustrated because I think people people are looking past the fact that I've proven that he's wrong and they're just uh, championing his platform and his success um, over me. And so you're going to you're, you're going to answer for that. I think you we know. have to start doing like we were like we have been doing. You have to start dealing with. What the leadership in modern evangelicalism has established as a virtue, the love of money you have to go back to what the Bible says about it because all these novel things that are coming up and causing spiritual devastation, I believe have their tie to the love of money on some level. Yeah. Um, whether it be sure. prestige or actual money in hand, uh, I think you got to start attacking that again, you know, and, and I, and then I think people have to accept either they're a part of that system or they're not a part of that kind of system and thinking. Um, so, yeah, I remember that that word of life in Jacksonville. That's one of the things that Brother Rod would always tell people about some of the corrupt churches in Jacksonville. And he used to say, the first thing you need to do is follow the money. Follow the money, see where the money goes. And and that will tell you right there what, what's really going on. You know, yep. Like yeah, you so said, since people to, won't. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead like brother. you said, like you like you're saying, the triage is a cash cow. So, yep. I mean, we have to be honest about that. Like I, I said it when we were talking about celebrity and I think one of our early episodes, like people who hate us and what we're saying, they can look at their bank accounts and go, but them dudes are right. Like, like I'm getting paid from this. Like, yeah. 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 Like, like this is lucrative, you know? Yeah. We hear you, Eric. It'd be nice to read your thesis, but I mean, t- uh, you know, every couple of weeks, my bank account is running over. So I'm, I'm going to keep doing this. I, I think it, I think it's that simple, you know, and it's and that is completely antithetical to what it means to be a Christian. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we have to draw our lines in the sand and have people realize that this is, you know, this is serious when you to me, I'm seeing the argument rightfully so. The argument that evangelicalism is taken up that the church is essential. I get that. Yeah, but if yeah. you're going to say the church is essential, you had better start saying her doctrines are unified. You know, it's and not a place all of it, her doctrines are tied together and yes. you can't divorce the church institution from the uh-huh. doctrines, because if you're saying the church is essential, but you triage the doctrines, you're in it for the love of money. Oh, yeah. And, 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 the the church, money. and the church is not a place to farm people um, to, to give money. Exactly. To get rich. You can't exactly. farm people like that. So the church farm. isn't essential. And I'm not saying this is the motivation of, well, of, the, the, of famous the elders, evangelical leaders. Well, the but, elders but, need to the elders need to be sheep too. They're not they're not farmers in the sense that they're farming sheep, right? To, to, so that they can get rich, right? But that but that's what I'm saying. Like there has to be the kind of spiritual discernment to say what is my motivation for ministry. Like the church can't be essential because people feel like they're losing money. Yeah, oh yeah. Like the church which, is, which has a, happened during the the pandemic. When you say like, I would say like I, I would say expo- that exposed that you know we're people's affections were and now they're trying to say essential but it's because they're you know they're they're 
their businesses are going to have to get shut down. Well, here's here's and the they're true treating test. the church as a business. Yeah, here's the true test. Society triages the church. Mm. So society triages the church and her doctrines with it and the days you can meet and basically told you you're look, you can go to Walmart, Costco, Home Depot, that's first tier. Oh, yeah. And then you could go take your kids to the park. The second even tier. even if you have like 50, 100 people put together in one room. Right. And then Depot. they started tearing the people. And then now, OK, now the church is non-essential and people were going to hold up. Now, to me, I'm going, man, that's the right reaction. But don't you think if the church is comprised of her doctrines and the teaching of Jesus Christ, you should have the same fervor, the same uh, fire in you to defend the doctrines in the same way? You know, so so it really comes down. I know Brother Mike and I have talked about it. It really comes down to your ecclesiology. What do I believe about the church? Because I feel like people are fighting for the right to meet in a building. But are they fighting for the doctrines of the church? Because if they were, they would be agreeing that the triage is causing more devastation doctrinally than anything in the last 50 years. Yeah, exactly. Including that's whole, COVID. That, that's a whole nother question, what you're saying. Because, you know, you have heroes that are considered heroes today just because they just fought that they could get back in their buildings. Right. What about what you're saying? Like that that question, bringing it. What do we do when we get back in there? Yes. (laughs) Sitting there again. Um, Let's get back. Go ahead, brother. Keep going. Yeah. The history here. Uh, And so, I, you know, because of these reasons and and we're going to get into a lot as we go through this, we're going to go into doctrinal arguments. Um, we're going to look at the passages they argue that they try to argue for the validity of their system. And, and I, and I, I know I'm convicted by, you know, what I went through and in, in putting this together and studying deeply that I have proven him wrong. I've proven him wrong. And that's just, I'm not just trying to prove him wrong, but it's a fact. And it's a fact in history that the inception of triage arose from military medicine. That's where it came from. And he even says that when he came up with this idea, he was in the emergency room. He said, this is what this is what they're doing. Why don't we do that in the church? Because the church is sick and immature. But uh, it's undeniable. I mean, you, you can't say it came from anywhere else. The inception of triage arose in military medicine where the system was designed to distribute health care systematically among wounded and sick soldiers. Before this, before the Napoleonic Wars, and I, I, I dug deep in research. I looked and I looked and I looked because I wanted to prove myself wrong as well. I wanted to challenge the assertions that I was making from the research that I was pull, pulling out and digging. And I was, I was digging down deep, like, you know, I had all my equipment out and I was mining for gold looking for these answers here. And so I also looked afterwards because I, I didn't want to look stupid after I put this together and someone's like, Eric, you know, you're wrong. That's not where it came from. But I am inviting anyone to come forth if they have any more information, because uh, aside from just looking stupid, I want to know the truth. This is a, a search for truth, whether I look stupid or not. You know, if someone can prove me wrong, then and, and, and they're right. But again, in, in trying to prove each other right or wrong, it can't be tied to your fraternity. You just take exception to me because of your fraternity. Or you take exception to me because you don't like other things that I'm saying. You know, it comes down to, you know, what are the facts? And so the facts here reveal to us that the inception of triage arose from military medicine. 
And before the Napoleonic Wars, there's no documentation of triage care provided to injured soldiers in combat. And that's also that's taken from what these guys are saying here. Uh, Kenneth Iserson, medical doctor and John C. Moskop, Ph.D. All right. I'm I'm taking their words and I'm quoting them here. These uh, secular doctors um, and the other guys, Ph.D. So um, who, who invented this, though? Who's who's the brainchild behind triage? The guy's name was. Dominic Jean Larry, French guy who was N Napoleon's chief surgeon in his military. And so the practice of the triage began with him. He was born on July 8th, 1766. He, di he died July 25th, 1842. He was the French chief surgeon in Napoleon's military. He invented the system of treating wounded soldiers in battle based on the degree of gravity concerning their injuries. And so we can, it, it, it works in, in this sense. I mean, I appreciate him inventing this and this has helped, especially like you were saying, Chris, as you did your research in World War I and World War II and in our emergency medicine uh, practices today, emergency um emergency rooms, the, the system of triage. I mean, it ha has a place there. And so I'm not taking exception to emergency medicine in the secular sense in those spheres. But even these two guys that wrote this article, they they start to uh, they're, they're questioning some of the the, the ethical um, implications of this, which we'll get into in a second. But anyway, it was, it was this guy who did this. Uh, Larry, the French chief surgeon in uh, Napoleon's military. He invented the system. And then I go on the right in their article, triage in medicine, part one concept, history and types. Kenneth Iserson, medical doctor and John C. Moskop, PhD, described how Napoleon's chief surgeon invented the triage. And this is a block quotation. I would like to read everybody because it's important. We need to read this and listen to this, this is what it means to, to not be lazy and do your work. Just pay attention to this block quote. Larry recognized the need to evaluate and categorize wounded soldiers promptly during a battle. His system was to treat and evacuate those requiring the most urgent medical attention rather than waiting hours or days for the battle to end before treating patients as had been done in previous wars. So there you go. This is the first time this is implemented. Acting on this recog recognition, Larie performed hundreds of amputations on the battlefield while the battle was still raging. He also designed light carriages, which he called flying ambulances. So this is the inception of what we would call ambulances you know, today. It came from this concept, emergency me uh, medicine to rapidly transport the wounded. In his memoirs on the Russian campaign, 1812, Larry articulated a clear rule for sorting patients for treatment. This is his words. Those who are dangerously wounded should receive the first attention without regard to rank or distinction. They who are injured in a less degree may wait until their brethren in arms who are badly mutilated, have been operated on and dressed. Otherwise, the latter would not survive many hours, rarely 
until the succeeding day. So this is very pragmatic for Napoleon. Napoleon wanted to conquer Europe. He wanted to win these wars. And so he wanted to heal the, his soldiers and then put them back in the, uh, into combat, you know? So fr from his perspective, this is, this is very pragmatic. This is going to work. And so this um, surgeon, although he, he, he was using it for, you know, he, he just make a name for himself as a doctor and help people, et cetera, and all, all the rest. Uh, I can see Napoleon looking at this. I can see Napoleon looking at this and, uh, and wanting to use it pragmatically, you know, cause the guy wanted to win wars, you know, he was in, he, he was the guy that was in charge of his army. Um, after the Napoleonic wars, the triage was used somewhat in the civil war. So they heard about this civil war coming later next in the 19th century, 1800s, uh, you know, they, they would have known about this. It would have probably been famous during the uh, hearing about how they were uh, practicing this in the Napoleonic Wars. And so they tried practicing that in the Civil War in the United States. Uh, but it wasn't heavily implemented again in military emergency medicine until World War One and World War Two. And I'm taking that from these, these guys article to summarize the origins of the history of the practice of triage. It began, ladies and gentlemen, in military medical procedures only as early as Napoleonic Wars, and it did not enter into secular emergency medicine or hospital emergency rooms until after World War II in the 1950s. So you don't even have this being practiced, practiced in our hospitals, in emergency, uh, emergency rooms until around the 1950s. So in that sense, when Moeller's going in there and he's watching this as he's in the emergency room, um, Moeller, I think, was born right around the time that this was actually first implemented in hospitals in a general sense in the secular world. So it is not only novel concerning the last 2000 years of church history. I mean, I'm, we're, I'm, we're, we're saying extremely novel because this seminal article wasn't until not, uh, 2004. But not only is it extremely novel in the last 2000 years of church history, but it is in fact just in the secular world triage itself, extremely novel in the history of man, you know, st starting from the, the, uh, the fields of battle and then being implemented into um, the emergency room. And for those reasons, uh, I think those reasons alone, um, because it was invented in the in the secular world and it's can be categorized as um, military medical pragmatism. For those reasons, it is not a hermeneutic that is self attested from the word of God to interpret scripture. For that reason, I prove uh, Mueller wrong. And so um, why does, you know, someone fight me on this? You know, listening, help me out here. How can you, I mean, what are you going to say? You, you know, no, Eric, you're wrong. And then I just say, no, you're wrong. And we just go back and forth and say, no, you're wrong. Or you're going to look at the facts of history. This is the facts of history. So there's a sense of, the, the writer goes on the right, there's a sense of pragmatism and utilitarianism. Can you look up utilitarianism? 
Chris? Uh, utilitarianism has to do with uh, seeking the greatest good for the greatest number of people. Yeah. So that's, there's a that's sense what of utilitarianism is. And we would like to assume that that's what is motivated by triage in the emergency medical world, right? Pragmatism and utilitarianism with triage in emergency medicine. For instance, Isersen and Moskop describe the purpose of triage in the emergency med medicine context when they wrote the following. Here's another block quote. If anyone reads any of my, the stuff that I write, I love block quotes because I just want to take the argument and just slap it on the page. I don't like putting things in my own words. I just like taking the uh, original source and just pasting it on the page. And so you'll find in here a lot of long block quotations. So I don't let, me, put it, let, me, yeah, uh, let me read the utilitarian. I'll put the link on there, but I just want to read it right quick. Um, basically, in, in simple terms, it's what I said. It's the greatest good for the greatest number of people. But uh, it is a theory of morality. This is coming from Investopedia. It is a theory of morality which advocates actions that foster happiness or pleasure and opposes actions that cause unhappiness or harm. When directed toward making social, economic, or political decisions, a utilitarian philosophy would aim for the betterment of society as a whole. Utilitarianism would say that an action is right if it results in the happiness of the greatest number of people in a society or group. Yeah, so you hear a lot, often people say, you know, it's for the greater good. And so they might justify murder or lying or, mm -hmm. or, or something, but it's for the greater good. I recently got in a conversation with a guy. Uh, it had to do with people trying to get me kicked out of seminary, and they were slandering me, and they were lying, and it, and it came out, and so they weren't successful. And I showed this guy all the facts that actually happened. And then uh, and, I, and I asked him, why did they come after me to do this? And and, and his argument was basically for, it was for the greater good to kind of get you out of the way. So it wouldn't hurt, you know, so that would be that would be utilitarianism. That's a very good example. Now, yeah, well, there you go. Now, no, no, now on, the, on the other side, of it that, is. <laughs> <laughs> let's go back to the, oh, go ahead, Chris. You want to say now, something? Yeah. On the other hand of that, you would have ethical egoism, which is with Ayn, yeah. Ayn Rand, the famous author of Atlas Shrugged. Uh, uh -huh. Ethical ego egoism is the is the opposite of that. Ethical egoism is the greatest good for yourself. Yes. So yeah. Have, yeah. I just wanted to make sure people understood the two extremes. No, that's good. That's good. Um, Concerned. I, I, I think they. I think they actually had Atlas shrugged. Uh, didn't they have that series? Of mm -hmm. uh, didn't they put it in uh, film version? They on did. Amazon. They did. Yeah. Yeah, because I was looking that up about a year ago. It was very interesting. Um. But yeah, it's just kind of like so that that author is kind of like saying this is the United States very selfish in the sense that you're just pursuing your own dreams, mm -hmm. you know, your own. Um, so you know, so happy, so in happiness. Essence, yeah. In essence, capitalism would be considered yes. ethical egoism because. Yes. Yeah. The American dream would be considered ethical egoism because it's all about you. Exactly. Um, and so, look, Eisersen and, and Moskop, they, they wrote this and I just slapped this large block quotation we're going to go through it now um when the needs or demands for medical treatment significantly outstrip the available resources and now this is where it gets kind of like um kind of sketchy because you're going to withhold something from someone versus the other and people are making these decisions but anyway 
when the needs or demands for medical treatment significantly outstrip the available resources, decisions must be made about how to distribute these resources. Recognizing that not all needs will be satisfied immediately and some may not be satisfied at all. And you saw this happen in the, in the pandemic and how the allocation of resources were being distribute, distributed in our country and how the Republicans were fighting with the Democrats about the stimulus packages mm-hmm. and everyone has their own opinion about this, but we don't have um, unlimited resources to, to allocate even in our country, even though we're the um, richest country in the world. So what happens when we run out of resources and uh, some people are going to get them and some people aren't? Uh, Recognizing that not all needs will be satisfied immediately and some may not be satisfied at all. Decisions about distributing scarce healthcare resources. And then they're arguing even like president, the president Trump got the the virus and, uh, and they're saying, you know, yeah, we're sorry he got it, but it's not realistic him being um, cured from this or getting through this because his doctor, I mean, he has a doctor in the white house with him at all times and the medicine and the things that are available to him is not available to the regular, you know, hoi polloi American. And, and so that would be an example of kind of like, you know, how this is played out, you know, in allocation of resources. Decisions about distributing scarce healthcare resources can arise at all levels from societal choices within a nation's healthcare system. And so a nation's healthcare system would be macro allocation at a uh, allocation of resources at a, a large, large level to individuals allocating immediate emergency treatment and transport among multiple severely injured survivors of a motor vehicle crash or industrial accident would be micro allocation. So you're talking about distributing healthcare resources during the pandemic in our nation uh, and trying to come up with the drug and who's going to be, who's going to make the money and get rich off of coming up with the, um, the, uh, what is it? What is it? The, um, what do you get for the flu shot? What's the word I'm looking for? Vaccine. Vaccine, the vaccine, whoever comes up with the vaccine, uh, it's going to get rich, the one they're going to use. And so we're talking about macro allocation, how much is going to cost and how we're going to get it to every single person in America. That would be macro allocation. But then if you go, if you zoom into one specific case of a traffic accident and how uh, emergency medicine is um, implemented in, on, in, on that scale, it would be micro um, because only like two people got hit or whatever. Uh, several terms, including triage, uh, rationing, and allocation, are, are used to refer to the distribution of scarce resources in different healthcare contexts. Ellipsis. Triage, the most, the term most commonly used to mean the sorting of patients for treatment priority in emergency departments, EDs, and in multi-casualty incidents, disasters, and battlefield settings. Most discussions about triage address practical questions such as when the process should occur and what techniques are most effective. Commentators rarely consider the essential characteristics of triage, the historical evolution of the practice, or the ethical justification for selecting those who will receive priority treatment. The ethical justification for selecting individuals who are going to get the treatment 
or any treatment. He's saying these guys are saying, have you guys thought about this? What happens if as our culture gets more and more uh, socialistic and all those things uh, among a large group of acutely ill and injured patients? So these guys are questioning the moral implications of what I'm talking about, like, you know, what happens when you run out of resources? You know, when you run out of, you know, macro allocation and micro allocation, how all that uh, comes into the picture in this article. And it's a great article. So, I mean, I would rec recommend everyone to read it. You can find the link to it uh, in the in the footnote or not the link, but the uh, the footnote, um, the the uh, work cited note. So you can find it and type that in. I think it's available on the Internet. So anyway, with all this, uh, we're talking about all these features. You'd be crazy not to think that the purpose of triage and emergency med medical pragmatism um, is not sorting. It is sorting. It'd be crazy to think that. But the purpose of triage in emergency medical pragmatism is sorting and prioritizing patients to treat them based on the allocation of resources. And this is a problem that man has in the secular world. OK, but when does the secular um, intersect with the sacred in this discussion? Micro allocation and macro allocation is contingent on the resources that are available. Specifically, it is dependent on which geographical area treatment is provided because resources can be scarce. But listen, ladies and gentlemen, listening in, the Christian has an entire corpus of God's word. Okay? We're not prioritizing, we're not triaging patients when we're coming to the word of God. The Christian has an entire corpus of God's word. Therefore, the Christian does not have a shortage of doctrinal resources. You're the ones who are um, practicing, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? You're the ones who are practicing uh, reductionism. There's another term I'm looking for where you're, um, where you, where you're kind of, you know, you have Genesis to Revelation, but then you're kind of cutting things out, kind of like the Jefferson Bible. Like redaction? Redaction, but what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> Reduction, redaction. You're you're cut you're 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 reducing, <laughs> you're bringing it down, you're bringing down you know you're you're editing, you're, tr uh, you're truncating it basically, truncating. There's a lot of adjectives we could use, but listen, um, we don't have a shortage of doctrinal resources. We have Genesis to Revelation, God's eternal word, and so we don't need to practice microallocation and macroallocation, uh, Doctor Moeller. Thank you very much. We don't need to practice that. Triage has its place in emergency medical pragmatism, but does doctrinal triage have a place in the church? Are we to triage people in the church? You guys are seeing that happen today when 75% capacity can come to church or 50% capacity or 25. You can't triage people who can and cannot come to church. If, if they're going through the, the process of church discipline and uh, the Lord's tables being withheld for them from them for specific reasons that's not triage either though that's the instructions that we get from the word of god but we can't say who can cannot come to church when it you know unless we're talking about features of church discipline correct or incorrect that's correct right so why are they they're triaging people they're saying you know the, the government is now telling us you know 50 percent can come to church or 75% capacity, treat it, treat it like it's a restaurant or a country club, you know, 
And so, so, so what, what happens if hundred percent want to come and they're lined up at the door and then you just turn people away, you know, cause it's the first 75% that show up the earliest, I guess. <laughs> but does doctoral triage have a place in the church? The author asks. You're going to start charging for tickets soon. Yes, yeah, it's, it's remarkable. <laughs> Although emergency medical departments rely on taxpayers' money to dispense emergency care, and they do, there is no lack of resources with God. Good point. There's no lack of resources with God. God is infinite, and he has unlimited resources. That's so don't treat his... really good point right there. Yeah, because it, who he is is tied to his word. And so you can't triage God and you can't triage his word like that. What is more, the triage as a concept concerning ethical thought did not invade the overall Western culture and implement itself into mainstream secular philosophies of education until the 1970s. And so this is when it comes over from emergency medicine and now is coming into our educational process happened in the 1970s. And, and again, you guys could just take this all. I mean, you could just there's so many implications for this and, and us growing up, gr going to public education and what and, and the evolution of the remarkable uh, whackness of what's happening in Western uh, culture and educational system in the last uh, 40 years. I mean, it, it's just moving at an incredible evolution and rate of just nonsense. And so. I think a lot of this has, it didn't show up in secular philosophy of education in the 1970s, according to the Oxford English Dictionary. So I'm looking up dictionaries saying, you know, when did this term first show up in education? When did this term first show up in um, uh, medicine? When did this term first show up in business pragmatism? According to the Oxford English Dictionary, the first time the word triage was used generally in mainstream Western culture outside the military uh, in the media was on my birthday, November 11th but not my actual birthday because this was 1974 and I was born in 1982 uh, in time magazine. There's a footnote there in the West footnote 21 in the West. There is increasing talk of triage, a common sense, if callous concept that teaches that when resources are scarce, they must be used where they will do the most good. And that's um, in time magazine, uh, the Oxford English dictionary looking through database of when terms show up in secular culture and again if someone can find that something precedes this in that sense and i'm wrong uh, i'm just going by what the oxford english dictionary went by so it's not me making a mistake it's the oxford english dictionary because i'm looking and seeing you know when does this word show up in this in this context in another media outlet namely the guardian in october 18th 1979 triage showed up in educational pragmatism in the following quote there is an unofficial triage system in which teachers and school administrators concentrate their limited resources on helping those students who seem to be capable of succeeding. And so they're looking at all the kids in the class. And maybe your brothers can uh, identify with me looking at all the kids in the class. And they're like, well, he's dumb and he's dumb and she's she's stupid. So we're going to send them the special ed and we're just going to triage the five percent that uh, are good at math or whatever. Because what's really popular and what's really valuable in our culture today is math and science. And so let's look for the kids that uh, their brains are wired a certain way. And a lot of this is just uh, psychology and nonsense. I'm just throwing out there. Um, I'm, I'm speaking existentially in their shoes. And so, you know, that that person's killing it in math. Um, you know, and, and, and yeah, if, if you're good at English or writing, 
that that's a liberal art. So they triage. You're not as important. We need scientists. We need uh, people that are that are mathematicians, you know, and computers is a big thing. And so they triage kids in, in school. And so they focus on those that they, they actually see promising. But the uh, the kids, you know, that um, that are less, uh, th- th- you know, you could you could probably even argue that the bell curve is a, is, is a form of uh, triage in a sense. What's the bell curve? That when you're grading on a, a scale based on yeah what you, what you were just talking about based on oh the, yeah you've got low grades here high grades here and you try to find yeah, that exactly that median yeah area. yeah 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 that could be a, that's definitely uh, an application of that for sure 100 but even like you know you know that, that kid's that kid's got adhd i'm just gonna make up something and and, and uh diagnose him with that so we'll send him to uh special ed uh that kid's an idiot so we're not gonna give him the attention and so they only focus on and i saw it all the time when i was going to school and that's a lot that's a lot of you know it's coming from this and so that, you know, that's that's wrong. Anyway, um, in conclusion, the inception of triage in Western culture, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, began in the 19th century and transitioned from military medical pragmatism to secular medical pragmatism as early as the middle of the 20th century. The transition from secular medical pragmatism to educational pra- pragmatism began as early as the last quarter of the 20th century. All in all, comma, with all things considered, comma, triage is a relatively recent phenomena in history of the Western pragmatism and philosophical thought. And that's my conclusion. And so I, I want to challenge anyone to challenge me. It's a challenge to challenge me on, on, on this. So, so we talked about uh, its origin in um, the secular world. And we so, realize it. Yeah, before, before you do that, I want to read this. I just looked up educational triage. Yeah. Uh, it says Gilborn and Udell. I have to investigate who they are. I think it's probably some kind of article or book. Uh-huh. But it says Gilborn and Udell argue that schools perform a triage like nurses at A and E, categorizing pupils into those who will achieve anyway and therefore don't require too much input hopeless cases who would be a waste of effort and borderline cases who require attention and input to get their five C's at GCSE, whatever that is, I have to look that up. It says they link, they link this with the pressure on schools to maintain their position on league tables and the published A, a to C rate. Therefore, this could be seen as a connection between education policy, for example, marketization policies like league tables and processes within schools such as labeling. So it's basically what you just said about, okay, this kids, these kids are dumb, so we're not going to waste too much time with, uh, you know, have to put some, put to, put a bunch of time with them. And then these kids are achieving, so we don't really have to waste too much time with them. And then we got these hopeless cases. I mean, it really, you shouldn't treat, you shouldn't treat children like that. I mean, yeah, I agree. You know, and and like they said, it, it's based on this 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 league table. Like, you know, when then, you, when yeah, you, yeah, when, and then, yeah, when you go on when you go on uh, the internet and you look up look up top schools in Arizona, uh-huh. that's that's where this triage is part of that. Yeah, the whole thing's disingenuous. And then someone gets an Oscar for um, for writing and acting in um, Goodwill Hunting. 
trying to get the blood pumping for the other two <laughs> guests we have on here. Oh, no, you know, honestly, what I've what I've been looking at is it's it's because the stakes are very high with what Moeller is saying, as this all relates to Christian maturity. Um, I believe that it is that this whole system and even his motivations are directly in contradiction to what Paul wrote in Colossians chapter one. Um, specifically, you know, he's talking about his afflictions and bringing together the proclamation of the word of God as a unified corpus of divine revelation, a unified body. But then he says in, he says in verse 28 of chapter one, we proclaim him. He's talking about Christ admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose, also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. And so, you know, when I read what Paul the Apostle is saying, and I'm inclined to choose Paul over every single modern evangelical alive, but as it relates to Paul the Apostle and what he's writing here, he's, he's demonstrating that he's using the full body of God's word to present every single christian complete in christ and so there's no language here from him that says men need to be parsed uh, men need to be triaged resources need to be allocated uh you know and even here he gives you the purpose for which he labors the reason he labors is so that he can teach all wisdom present every man in christ complete and to teach them everything in doing so. Yeah, exactly. So I, to me, the disconnect. That's a good argument. The disconnect about, about, is about now. How to, how to actually teach somebody. Teach yeah, somebody. exactly. So so I believe the disconnect is to the, apost the apostolic faith. That's the disconnect that the triage brings. That the, the, the doctrinal triage is disconnected from the apostles. And if it's disconnected from the apostles, it's, di it's disconnected from Christ. Yeah, oh yeah, Amen. and his church, and and if it's disconnected from them, it ought to be very much rejected. And you know, I hope that Dr. Moeller reads this. I mean, I really do. I, I don't. We're not making a character of him. I believe we're fairly representing his arguments. But he's got to abandon this, and he's got to come out against this. And and well, well here here's the thing. So, like we talked about, you know, he's got the he got the platform. Um, he's a figurehead in modern evangelicalism. He's very successful, conservative, um, et cetera, et cetera. And, and here we are with this uh, thesis and we're, you know, and if, he, and if they don't read it and they don't engage it, um, we're going to win either way. We're, oh, we're absolutely. Gonna, well, we're that's how high the thing. stakes are. That's how high the stakes because, are. Because God is uh, higher than the highest. And so this is all going to come up again. So men can play their games here on earth it, with you know, their empires and and their kingdoms, but a kingdom's coming, and it's on and it's imminent, and so uh, everything's going to be flipped upside down. So, so I would raise the stakes this way, given the context of the passage I just read you, because Paul's talking about his sufferings. I would say that the doctrinal triage exists to prevent you from suffering for Christ, and the doctrinal triage exists to basically allow you to hide in individuals who are not willing to suffer for Christ. 
and not and not wanting to fight for sound doctrine across exactly the right for all yeah, of where, all the entire all of it as a divided corporate. When I'm when I'm talking about suffering, I'm not talking about some of the stuff you're seeing. I'm talking about a mounted defense along the div, uh, the the divine truth that's been given to us once and for all, preserving it in such a way where you suffer like a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ should. I think when you start talking like, you know, things are tertiary, secondary, we're trying to figure out what hills to die on, that kind of flimsy language. I mean, it's uh, so flimsy, me, man. It's just so unattractive to me. <laughs> it's, 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 it literally is. But, but here's the thing. All right, here's the thing, though, because I say this a lot. Because I see the same guys holding this stuff up want to put bold capital letters on their social media platforms and hold conferences lamenting the fact that there's no men in, in, in the pulpits. Oh, dude. Yeah. That's my problem with you doing that is this when it, yeah. stop training men to, to, to eat and drink this stuff. And then you won't have to turn around and rebuke the same men that you're raising up, holding on to this so-called, uh, this so-called new way that's better. Yeah, and and stop, and stop raising up, uh, or, you know, training um, metrosexual tyrax. I agree. I agree. Effeminate cowards. They really well, are. Well, and that's and that's the thing. I mean, if we're honest, yeah. you know, there's this, there's this. Oh, we need more men to do this. We need more men to do that. Well, then come out against the triage. Come out against the doctrine. Or it might just be more lucrative to firebomb someone's business uh, theoretically and then sell them fire insurance. I mean, because that's. That's the equivalent of what the modern call for masculinity in the pulpit is to me. It, it, it's a hustle. It's it a, hustle a hustle in that you're, you're, you're on one hand holding before the people how to sort and triage doctrines, and you're basically deconstructing God's attributes and his nature and his character. And then on the other hand, you're telling them that they're not fighting like they should be. Oh, yeah. So, want- so take them off the treadmill. And that's what we're trying to do here. We got to get we got to get these men off the treadmill. That's like hamstringing a horse and then expecting it to win a Kentucky Kentucky Derby. It's just not going to happen. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but that, that's what you're that, doing. But, you're training these men on the one hand, but then you're hamstringing them on the other hand because the triage you, you still got to practice the triage. Absolutely. So, like you said, it takes the fight out of them. And I actually i I respect Eric. I respect the fact that at least Mueller saw something that yeah. was worthy of fighting against. I think everything mm-hmm. that he has done is all wrong um, mm-hmm. related to this triage. Sure. But you know, the, the, the zealous followers of the guys with the larger platforms. Oh, they take it. To, yeah. I mean, they're to, taking to it the to another level. Yeah. yeah where it's, exactly. it's kind of like we, okay, well, I'm gonna write books on it. Cause I saw this made him famous. So, you know, but uh, yeah, but that's not the mark of faithfulness. Like Paul, the apostle, they laughed at him when he suffered mm-hmm. for upholding God's unified divine corpus. And, and the only, the only people who were offering him constant hypotheticals were the Judaizers. Right. So, you know, I really think the stakes are high when you're talking, because if you're telling me that the doctrinal triage is a means to my Christian maturation, well, that's one side of the argument. Right. And so I had better practice this triage if I want to be mature, but if that's not the way to be mature, I had better do the actual thing that makes me mature. It can't be both. So right. I either have to be uh, confined and constrained to the, to, the, to the unified doctrinal corpus of God's word and mature by the truth of his word proclaimed uh, altogether, or I have to take up this method and be, and be matured that way. 
-hmm. And honestly, quite frankly, the fruit of those who uphold this, I'm not seeing maturation. I just see them triaging men. I, you know, I see, I see them raising up men to be about as callous and thoughtless as they are with respect to upholding these things. So, I mean, I really think you have to look at which one really by evidence of uh, what you can discern is upholding the fruit of the spirit. And I would say all the time, apostolic doctrine, 100% of the time, untampered with by men. So you woke me up a little bit on that one. Oh, that's good. I mean, when I said, uh, when I said metrosexual Tyrax, I looked at how many people are watching and we lost like five people. Yeah, that's (laughs) Anyway, speaking of that, we're going to move on to um, the origin in evangelicalism. Hey, can I say something related to that, though? I think that there's actually a lot of uh, men and women that um, we're standing for truth and we're fighting for truth. And this whole system actually choked them out because they weren't strong enough to withhold uh, the attacks from people who said, you're not being loving, you're not being, you know, uh, respectful of this. And so I think it's done damage in that sense too, to a lot of people who, who were zealous and were standing for truth and people didn't like that. So they had to find, and so they use this as a way of shutting people up and shutting them down from fighting for the truth. And so um, uh, my hope is that if it was truly in them, that the zeal will, will burn back in them and they will read this and hear this and, yes. and realize this isn't, this isn't a way of Christian life and what they were doing was right. Yes. Yeah. Despite what, how many people were against it. What, what, a dep- what a depressing, sad description though, man. It, I it, mean, it even destroys, it even destroys it our make, arguments. It should make you want to cry. Yeah. It even, it even destroys our arguments against the world when, uh, the world comes at us like you got 50 11 denominations and you guys can't agree on everything and so why should i listen to what you have to say concerning truth and then the first yeah, thing you bring up is the, well you got to understand i'm just and, and then you act, secondary doctrines and tertiary doctrines yeah then you that, sound just like they do and you're just giving them worldliness yeah, that's no, not an answer. That, and that's the thing if, if something becomes secondary tertiary um, the problem is you will never visit those issues and those issues will never be a point of clarification, contention, conviction, because if you're calling them secondary, it is, you're, you're committing some kind of a faux pas in addressing them with people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if I need all of God's word presented to me to present me complete the Christ and I start laying some aside, calling them secondary as if we'll get to them at some point when we really never do, we'll never talk about them, then, I mean, you're shortchanging at best your, your maturation, at worst, your, your confession of faith in Christ. And so I just, you know, the implications, and I know people in this modern day in which we live, they hate implications and they hate men who speak about implications, <laughs> but I have to speak about implications because the implications of where things head like these, these ideas have consequences. Mm-hmm. I think even Mueller would say that if we were to have him here and, and there was a debate about this, I think we would look at each other in the face and literally both sides would say ideas have consequences. Yeah. And so either this leads to my Christian maturity, my sanctification, my, glor- my glorification affirms my justification or it doesn't. I mean, that really is what it comes down. I have to, I have to cling to this with my life or I have to abandon it. So, I mean, the stakes are high. That's the Jesus they crucified because Jesus spoke that way. That's the mm-hmm. apostles they killed. 
because the apostles right. spoke that way. Amen. All right. So there's not conversation there. It's a good transition now. Speaking about the Kentucky Derby, let's let's go. Let's zoom in on Kentucky here at the uh, specifically Louisville, Kentucky at the um, Southern Baptist Theological Southern. Seminary. Origin and evangelicalism. In his article, A Call for Theological Triage and Christian Maturity, written on May 20th, ladies and gentlemen, 2004, his seminal article on the matter. So, again, I mean, that bothers me, like, if, you know, if you're saying that this is the solution to all our problems, and it came out in 2004 instead of the apostolic age. <clears throat> Moeller explained how he came up with the idea for theological triage. Turn the page. He explained in his article that he borrowed the concept of triage. <laughs> he borrowed the concept of triage from a trip to a local hospital emergency room. He invoked the memory this way when he wrote the following. Hey, bro, not not to interrupt yeah. you, right? I should be your lay reader. Yeah. <laughs> and you oh, just yeah. stopped me. <laughs> <laughs> Read. He invoked the memory this way when he wrote. He invoked the memory. With <laughs> <laughs> some That's punctuation. <laughs> But our, uh, our listeners will notice I have another uh, rather substantial block quote here. Because yeah. again, I'll, I'm presenting. You know, I don't. When it comes when it comes down, this is a serious matter. So I'm not writing a, a novel and trying to entertain people. I'm taking. Uh, I don't want to put this in my own words. Uh, you know what? It, it, going to the going to the source. Mueller's the source here. He's the one that invented this. The other guys wrote the other article. The Oxford Dictionary says this and that. I mean, you got to learn how to do research. So. I, when it comes to research, you know, use block quotations. A trip to the local hospital emergency room some years ago alerted me to an intellectual tool that is most helpful in fulfilling our theological responsibility. In recent years, emergency medical personnel have practiced a discipline known as triage, a process that allows trained personnel to make a quick evaluation of relative medical urgency. Given the chaos of an emergency room reception area, someone might be alarmed or someone might be armed with the medical expertise to make an immediate determination of medical priority. Which patients should be rushed into surgery? Which patients can wait for a less urgent examination? Medical personnel cannot flinch from asking these questions and from taking responsibility to give the patients with the most critical needs, top priority in terms of treatment, ellipsis. Thus, the triage officer in the medical context is the frontline agent for deciding which patients need the most urgent treatment. Without such a process, the scraped knee would receive the same urgency of consideration as the gunshot wound to the chest. The same discipline that brings order to the hectic arena of the emergency room can also offer great assistance to Christians defending truth in the present age. So is, is the uh, doctrine of eschatology, the millennial kingdom, is that uh, just a scraped knee? I mean. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think the, I think the better question is what creates the urgency, you know? Hmm. Well, and I mean, what also determines who, theological urgency and gravity. Yeah. And, and who, who determines it? 
so that's why what we have been saying about Ephesians 4 is so important. We're not yeah. called to formulate new doctrine. We're not the Roman Catholic, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, so to speak, where they believe that they literally uh, canonize and uh, that they're responsible for its formation, preservation, um, dictation, everything that goes with scripture. We're, we believe we were handed down something from the apostles by the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of his church. Guardians of sound doctrine. That sense. Yeah. So if so, if we're guardians, it's like who gets to determine, you know, because every every age is wicked and dangerous, and they get worse and worse. Like, who determines? Yeah. The present age certainly doesn't do that for us. Not so at all. Let's not take let's not take uh, emergency medical, military pragmatism, and use that to uh, defend truth. Because that's not how God prescribed us to do it. Um, since the inception of Moeller's highly acclaimed article, and it's highly acclaimed, ladies and gentlemen, very popular, he has promoted doctrinal triage in many different speaking venues and writing projects. And this is an example of, um, like, there, you know, it, because it's so popular, you know, you put it in several books. Yeah. You know, um, kind of like if you go to, you know, you're go, go, going cross country. And you, and you come to a gas station and uh, they have the CDs, you know, by the um, by the register. And uh, it's like uh, so-and-so country uh, greatest hits. And it's just like several different versions of the same song. But anyway, uh, uh, one of his latest books called The Disappearance of God, Dangerous Beliefs in the New Spiritual Openness. He dedicated the entire first chapter to his concept of theological triage. This book came out in 2009. This is uh, several years later. Uh, and there's a footnote there. The first chapter of this book is almost a verbatim quotation from his seminal article on the topic. So just cut and paste. Nevertheless, Dr. Moeller unequivocally categorized the relative importance of particular doctrines in the three levels. Again, namely, first level theological issues, Trinity, full deity, and humanity of Jesus Christ, justification by faith and the authority of Scripture. Second, level theological issues the meaning and mode of baptism fellowship within the same congregation denomination um, as second tier and then third tier theological issues disagreements eschatology close fellowship within the same congregation the following chart below is a summary of Moeller's three-tier structure and so i drew this chart because i wanted to show how the pyramid's upside down and it's just going down 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 uh, first level yeah, go ahead. real quick uh, we got a comment here. Let me read this. It says, how can a doctrine be secondary if the opposition of that doctrine is what most characterized one's life pre-salvation and what one repented of in coming to true repentance and faith in Christ? If Christ died to save one from the sin of that lie, the implication is that doctrine clearly must be essential. Yes. And, and so I'll remind, remind everyone that, um, one professor said that the doctrine of imputation 15th tier 15th tier like the, the um the how do you even get that far down i mean specific uh, yeah i mean so this is not this goes beyond uh i appreciate that whoever wrote that um i don't have access to the is that, says, is that on our face that's lp so i'm believing that it's uh lisa i'm thinking oh okay great maybe so um first level look see how the box yeah go ahead does anyone else want to want to uh, comment? Anyone else want to comment on that? 
Yeah, I think we were talking about it last time that even, you know, I remember when I was, you know, before the Lord brought me out of charismaticism, you know, a lot of the things that conservative modern evangelicalism would consider secondary, uh, you know, the, the charismatic would consider very much not only primary, but, you know, you're, you're not born again if you don't uphold particular doctrines. And so when one is beginning an apologetic against them, the, the danger is the conservative modern evangelical argues from a standpoint of, well, this is a second tier doctrine, but the charismatic is saying, well, this is the whole substance of our faith. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, an example would be like tongues or spirit baptism, quote unquote, things such as that. So my point is you do, as Chris said, you kind of lose the, you lose your ability to really be a faithful witness uh, you know, when you start to place this kind of emphasis on doctrine, when another movement will say, well, no, this, this matters more than, uh, more than, I, I mean, I would say even, even false religions, their eschatology is everything to them. And so, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, with Jehovah Witness and all these other places, like you have to fight against their false eschatology. If it's a third tier doctrine in your system, you not only won't know exactly the distinctives in your own Christian faith, but you won't know the distinctives to witness and bring people. Uh, yeah, to exactly. And, and it, here's a major contradiction. I mean, really, like what is primary in, in evangelicalism is the doctrinal triage. It's mm, primary. That's the so, issue. So, so evangelicalism is you just mentioned Jehovah's Witnesses and, and, and they're they think everything is like in their their heresy. You know, we identify them as cults, yeah. heretical cults. Uh, the, the, you know, they're fighting for everything is they're saying is important primary. So evangelicalism has its heresy, has its um, it's a, a so so the whole thing that 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 categorizes evangelicalism is triage. I mean, that's so sad when you think of it that way. Absolutely, it's 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 rather uh, I would say pathetic. Yeah. Um, can you go back to that little picture? It creates partiality. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And so that so uh, the Lord's Church is supposed to be against partiality. First Timothy, chapter five. Hey, even in that chart, he says first uh, order. Right. The fact mm. that he has soteriology there is actually like pretty, pretty laughable, seeing how um, majority of Southern Baptists are heretical and believe they're saved by their uh, their own works. And so for him to have that as first level and he's Arminian. A of, yeah, Arminianism. And then they would even say that majority of Armenians are 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 in in Christ, and so they contradict themselves there because and he, so, and, and he would say you're saved things. by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. So oh, yeah, the hypocritical stance of that first level that, that he refutes himself. He's a part of Southern Baptists, and he's at a theological seminary with a mix of people that that believe that. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. <laughs> I'm I'm also surprised to see bibliologies up there because yeah. you're talking about inerrancy. You're talking Gen- about Genesis to Revelation, inspiration, illumination. Like yeah, where you find <laughs> where you yeah, find you put, their quote unquote second and third orders. Yeah, you put so, that first, but, but everything that you can find the other things in are now you know secondary. I just or tertiary. So Go it's ahead, a it's, yeah it's it's a um it's a um what is that thing called again? A pyramid scheme. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I put that. It is a pyramid scheme, but it's but it's inverted and it's falling. Because look, the first level I drew that because 
I drew that because huh. um the, the first the first level is more space because you think that's more important. Second level is less less space, and then let's not spend any space at all, and especially when you're writing a thesis, you're running out of space. Um. Anyway, the 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 word third is falling out of the the pyramid. Uh, I was having a hard time, you know, with the font size fitting it in there. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the, the 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 formatting for this thing was just a disaster. Like the the whole paper itself, hours and hours. Not not only hours and hours were dedicated to research. We're talking about we're talking about uh, just months upon months of, of research. But also, what even took longer than the research was getting the formatting right. The space <laughs> yeah. paragraphs. And so, if you've ever been to the seminary, you can attest to. You know, just um, the different standards when it comes to writing. So, so all those who call it trash have at it. Yeah, I mean, you have no we're idea waiting. how much time it took to put into this. Yeah, we're waiting um, if it's trash. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Moeller gave the identical example as Osborne, ladies and gentlemen. Osborne, the, the hermeneutical spiral. You saw that book, uh, Chris? Yeah. He gives the, the identical example. The same... Um, so Osborne and Moeller being like-minded in what they would categorize as first, second, and third tier. Uh, concerning women serving as pastors in a second-order doctrine, when he wrote this. Yeah, there it is. The hermeneutical spiral. That's Osborne's uh, manual on hermeneutics. First edition. <laughs> first edition. Wow, that goes way back. Yeah. But not, but not as, not, it's not as old as triage, or maybe it is. This no, was, it's, not as old. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as old as triage. This was like 19, 1991. Pretty close. Hey, hey, I want to. I was thinking about something. This goes way back uh, to what we're talking about Bonaparte and this doctor and Moeller and people. And I, I can't speak exactly whether that doctor, his purpose was only to get them back into the field. But if you look at it, it was somebody like Duran said, it was somebody that thought they were uh, helping men. And they saw men wounded and they, and they saw that they were dying and he tried to help them. And then you had someone like Bonaparte who said, I could really care less about men. I just want them back in there so I can win. It's kind of similar to Moeller. If it is the sense that he, he thought he was fixing something, but create yeah. a bigger problem. And then he sent out people actually that, that have made it even worse because they could really yeah, sure. care less about men. They only care about themselves and winning. And it's the same yeah. really. And I want to, I want to, I want to win them all over. I mean, Moeller, I to, want him to, to, to read this. Yeah. And engage, and then maybe say, you know, you know what, I was wrong, but that's a good analogy for sure. Um, but anyway, they usually put uh, women in the second order. Whether women should serve as pastors is another block quotation. In recent years, the issue of women serving as pastors has emerged as another second order issue. Ellipsis: Second order issues resist easy settlement by those who would prefer an either or approach. Many of the most heated disagreements among serious believers take place at the second order level. For these issues, frame our understanding of the church and its ordering by the word of God. But today, you know, we're saying the church is essential. They're saying, but before, you know, is that really, they're really saying it's second order. But anyway, uh, Moeller's theological triage has gained commendation in the blogosphere and popular online video teaching programs. For instance, yeah. one blog writer identified Moeller's original article on doctrinal triage as seminal 
and praise the work as a solution to determine not only the relative importance of particular doctrines in the church, but also the solution for triaging the distinctions between what he categorized bad doctrine versus heresy. And so he's taking it uh, like, like you're saying, like even further. And that's Mike Riccardi, bad doctrine versus heresy and exercise in theological triage, cripplegate.com, 2015. And so he's taking this uh, and he's saying you should also use this when you talk about heresy. Uh, on October 20th, 2016, a popular and influential online teaching program to get dedicated an entire hour when guest speaker and pastor argued that Moeller's theological triage is the solution for maintaining unity of the faith across divi the dividing line. And that's Alpha and Omega Ministries. Uh, pastor John Sampson uh, is, is an arm of, um, James White. of James White. That's his ministry. So this is. This is in everywhere. On October 20th, 2016, a popular and influential online teaching program dedicated an entire hour. Oh, yeah, I read that. Uh, next paragraph. What is more, not only has doctrinal triage made an impression on blogosphere and popular online teaching programs, it has also influenced academic institutions beyond Moeller's alma mater. When I was a little kid, I thought that meant I'm an otter. Just the way it was pronounced, but it's alma mater. For instance, a master's of divinity thesis, and this is the one. This is the one I found in the library when I was in in seminary. Um, a master's of of divinity thesis was written in 2007 by David Gunderson, which was strongly influenced by Moeller's original article. Consequently, Gunderson entitled his thesis. He wrote a whole thesis about this. Uh, biblical principles for determining the relative importance of particular doctrines. So he's trying to, he's going to the Bible and he's trying to argue the validity of Moeller's system by going through the Bible and, you know, uh, trying to make his case there. Accordingly, Gunnarsson's thesis purpose to develop biblical principles to examine a doctrine in order to distinguish its approximate scriptural weight. Footnote there. And here, here's where they said I made a mistake. The master's theological seminary. And he go and and so one guy criticizes like I found mistakes everywhere, um, uh, and uh, and there it is. There's no such place as the master's theological seminary. And I don't know why I wrote master's theological seminary. I think it might have been that was what Gunderson put on this thing. I was just copying it. But either way, I you know I wish there was a, you know, the master's seminary is theological, and uh, and many features of it are. So, um, you know, so what if I made a mistake, the master's theological seminary versus the master's seminary? I mean, what's it? I mean, I don't, I don't get it. What's the deal? Um, accordingly, Gunnar's thesis purpose to develop biblical principles to examine a doctrine in order to distinguish his approximate scriptural weight. Nevertheless, the author confessed that scripture does not teach doctrinal triage. He even said that. He said scripture does not teach doctrinal triage as a biblical principle. And demonstrated his frustration. He, in his thesis, he's frustrated. I read. I have his thesis. I read it. And here's a quote from there: "Scripture does not provide." He, Gunderson wrote this. And thank you, Gunderson. You're probably not listening, but uh, if you're somewhere out there, you know, I read your thesis, and and I responded to it that just like I would like other people to do. You know. And, it, and it's not a competition. You know, we, we're, we want to know what the truth. Scripture does not provide a diagram or list of all primary, secondary, and tertiary doctrines, ellipsis. He goes on to write, Gunnarsson, 
It is impossible to create a flawless machine that can mass produce doctrinal importance levels. Still, the author contended for doctrinal triage as a precedent uh, and, and argued that it is undeniable that Scripture assigns differing levels of importance to different doctrines. For example, he argued that 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4 taught some sort of doctrinal hierarchy of things most important, things much importance, and things less importance. And we're going to get to that because I actually uh, um, respond to that as we go through biblical theology and we look at that passage. But uh, even even though he's he, in his in his thesis, he says some sort of doctrinal hierarchy. Well, what what's the doctrinal hierarchy? He says that it's it, this it's it's some sort of there is some sort of it. I don't know. I can't put my finger on it, but I know it's there. It's there. And we're going to we're going to we're going we're gonna to look at first uh, Corinthians 15. Um, so he's saying, you know, it doesn't he can't uh, define it specifically, but. He, he, he really thinks it's there. And we're going to look at that. First Corinthians 15, three through four. And That's I have a strong compared... argument. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's well, there it, somewhere. Find if you, you know, if you find it, let me know. In, in, in summation. And we got, we got a, um, oh my goodness. We, we'd have a summation here too. We got to conclude this. Cause That's, we're a, already, that's a clay uh, pigeon right there. <laughs> an hour. Yeah. An hour and, and a half into this. Um, but anyway, we're going to, we're going to conclude here. In summation, since the inception of Mueller's highly acclaimed article on May 20, 2004, in which he introduced theological triage, doctrinal triage has been received and promoted in a number of outlets and arenas in evangelicalism. Moreover, the influence of doctrinal triage is undoubtedly increasing today as this emphasis is prioritized to be the solution to provide ecumenical relations among denominational divides who profess Unanimity. Did I pronounce that right? Unanimity. <laughs> On quote unquote first tier <laughs> doctrines, namely doctrines referred as quote unquote the essentials. And we'll get into essentials and non essentials um, when we resume uh, this series. When we, can, when we continue this series on our next meeting next Sunday evening for those listening. So I want to thank everyone for go going through this with me. Uh, we're only on page 14. We got uh, a bunch of pages left. Um, 95 thesis like Martin Luther, 95 pages. Um, he had a 95 thesis and this thesis is 95 pages. Um, I can't say it's the same, but uh, and I don't know if his was 95 pages. I think he just had 95 points. Help me out here. Yeah, it was just 95 yeah. points. All right. So um, I want to thank everyone listening. And uh, I encourage you to continue going through this with me as we look at next time this discussion, which which precede comes way before doctrinal triage. And it has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. This debate in Christianity about essentials versus non-essentials, which I didn't dedicate the thesis to. That, that's a whole nother thesis, even longer because there's a lot of people that have have something to say about this have opinion about what yeah. they would deem essential versus not essential. And so we're going to talk about it a little bit next time. There's a, there's a, there's a quote from Martin Luther in there. There's a quote from Charles Spurgeon in there. there. There's a discussion of the origin of that too. Cause again, it's important to go and find the origins of these things. We're interested in the origins of uh, 
Meldinius distinction between essentials and non-essential mm-hmm. dogma. Uh, he came right out. He came around the time of Luther a little bit after, I think, and he was Lutheran. And then um, the purpose of doctrinal triage after all is said and done, um, all things considered, what is the purpose? And we, we'll talk about that next time. What is the purpose for this thing? Why did they, why do they want to use that? Why do men want to use that? We'll look at that and that will conclude chapter one. So thank you guys for having me. And I, and I think, uh, uh, thank you guys for everything. No problem, brother. My pleasure. Duran, Mike, got anything? No. Nope. <laughs> all right, folks. Well, that concludes episode 16 of Train of Thought. Um, <clears throat> we hope that you have been blessed by the things that have been said. We ask that you would just consider it. We provided plenty of links for you to look at in the, the chat section. So you can go and look at those. Uh, again, we, we welcome disagreement. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't we don't just want everybody to come on and just be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We agree with everything you say. I'm really, really consider the things that we say. Take it up against the scriptures. Hold it up against mm-hmm. the word of God. If you disagree, uh, <clears throat> we have email address, B-C-R-I train of thought at gmail.com. And you can email us with your questions, your comments, your feedback, and we will respond to those things. We also have a Facebook page, the Biblical Christ Research Institute that you can also leave your comments on or you can mess uh, hit us on messenger if you need to also again we keep saying it the door is open for those of you who would like to come on and actually have your disagreement visible so people can actually see you disagreeing you can come on here we none of us have an issue with that um but again we're going to have a civil discussion again like i said we're not going to be kicking balls over the fence and doing all this elementary school uh, foolishness. We're going to be mature about our disagreement uh, and we're going to hold everything up to the light of the word of God. So that being said, we'll see you guys next time. I don't don't want to say next week because I don't know what our schedule is going to be like, but next time we'll make sure you guys are on. And also we'll be on YouTube from, from here on out. So, uh, if you want to be involved in the chat section, you just have to sign into your account and uh, you'll be able to leave uh, comments in the chat section. We're just moving to YouTube because Facebook is becoming more and more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? More and more strict on what's being posted. And now they got their little independent fact checkers and all this other foolishness. And so it's not as free as we we would like it to be so we're coming over to youtube we have our own channel on youtube biblical christ research institute this will be the first thing that you'll actually see on there and as we continue to do uh train of thought episodes and even when we start getting involved in uh teaching certain uh doctrines or or exegeting certain books of the bible when we start doing that like our our lessons uh those will be posted on there as well so and again, uh, if if any if anyone is interested in in owning a copy of this, just uh, contact us and we'll we'll mail you one. They're free, but we won't mail you this one. No, we're gonna keep that. That's <laughs> gonna stay on the shelf. I, I I can't remember the last time I looked at it, man. This is when I was coming out of Word of Faith, Pentecostalism, and all that, and then that's one of the first books that I came across. It was right. helpful at the time. 
you know, because it does teach you about genre and narrative and stuff like that. But then when it gets into all that doctrinal triage stuff, then it becomes an issue. So, yeah. But yeah, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for supporting us. Keep us in your prayers that we would continue to be bold and stand upon the word of God and that we would continue to uh, address so the, the issues that are plaguing the church, but also that we would uh, continue to uh, teach, teach sound doctrine, continue to uh, contend for the faith that has been once for all entrusted to the saints, as Jude has said. Uh, so we thank you guys. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time we meet. This has been Train of Thought, a podcast of the Biblical Christ Research Institute. For our written articles, go to bcri.wordpress.com. And for sermons, go to SoundCloud and search Biblical Christ Church. For comments and questions, email us at bcritrainofthought at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.